toaster man. Uh, last weekend, uh, our family, is this on? Yeah, okay. This testing. Last weekend, our family uh, flew to Phoenix, Arizona, where our younger daughter participated in a uh, soccer tournament. And on the plane ride over, I was reminded of a story that I had heard recently. Um, a young boy, approximately 10 years of age, gets on an airplane and is traveling without adult supervision for the first time in his life. As you can imagine, he's a little nervous. He's only flown twice, and this time he doesn't have an adult with him. So he gets on the plane, he sits next to the window seat, so as he's looking out the window, he can occupy his mind with all the activities that go into preparing a, you know, the flight to leave. He watches the luggage being loaded and everything going on, and so he's, you know, it, it's calming him down somewhat. And a couple minutes later, just as the plane is ready to leave, a very large gentleman gets on the plane, a extremely large gentleman gets on a plane, and a kind of mean-looking guy sits right down next to him and just about pins him in his seat to the window. And so this is going to be the nature of his flight. Well, the plane takes off, and they're into the flight for about an hour, and the gentleman sitting next to him, he falls asleep. And he's in a deep sleep. And he continues for probably an hour or so in this sleep, and uh, they hit some turbulence. And as they hit this turbulence, this young boy is starting to get a little sick. And he's trying to figure out how to get past the big guy, and there's just no way he can do it. And he's looking at him, trying to figure out how to get past him. He's afraid to wake him up, telling him he has to go to the bathroom. And he hasn't flown that often, so he doesn't know anything about the little bags that are in the front compartment there. And just as he's trying to figure out what's going on, the plane hits an air pocket and drops, and this wave of nausea comes over this kid. And man, he just, he just throws up all over this guy. Just all over his shirt. He just ralphs. He hurls. He chucks it up. He just, you know, he just blows chunks. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just to kind of help you visually here. And it's just, it's just everywhere. And, and he doesn't know what to do. And, and, and he's just sitting there and he just decides, well, he just turns and he's just looking straight and he starts looking out the window. And about 20 minutes go by and this kid's just shaking in his boots. He knows he's a dead kid. And uh, so all of a sudden the, the guy wakes up to the smell and he, he, he he looks down in his shirt, and he kind of looks around, and he looks over at the little boy, and the little boy goes, are you feeling better now, mister? <laughs> yeah, time to think about it. Although, you know, someone sent this to me anonymously, and I just thought I'd throw it out to you, because I always take this into consideration every time I tell a story. I don't know what exactly someone had in mind, but it just kind of puts the fear of you people in my heart. So every now and then I just got to, but bottom line is it's like, you know, often in life things aren't as they appear at first glance, obviously, and things aren't always as other people tell us that they are or try to convince us that they are. And this is certainly true of uh, our subject for today and for the next few weeks as we address this subject, we, ad we ask this question and we'll address it, and that is, what is love? What is love? You know, as we approach the Christmas season, as we approach Christmas, as we get into the month of December, there seems to be this, this uh, conversation that takes place about love and about peace and about joy and about all the things that typically uh, we talk about. You know, what's funny is I, I was thinking, I've got to believe that the Lord just laughs at some of us who get so frustrated, for example, like me, putting up Christmas tree lights outside on the house to celebrate the joy of this season. You know what I'm saying? I gotta believe the character of a man has to be tested by how he responds around a woman, a child, and tangled Christmas tree lights. I mean, there's just gotta be something to all that, that there's gotta be a spiritual barometer in there somewhere. But this question of what is love, you know, it's a huge subject, 
And the mere mention of the word conjures up a variety of thoughts. You know, if you think about it, in the name of love, you know, ships are launched, wars are fought, hot dogs are bought, children are conceived, and yet later abandoned, ironically, for a lover. It's interesting when you consider that. We're told that love makes the world go round. Songs sing about it, finding it, losing it, looking for it, looking for it in all the wrong places and whatever. And the bottom line is, is that we never truly define it we never truly understand the significance of it. And as one might expect, love is a pr uh, prominently mentioned uh, subject in the Bible, and uh, especially in the writings of John, whom the Bible refers to as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And in one of the passages that we'll look at that he writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, he writes in 1 John chapter 4, and if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, as we look at this passage, as it introduces this topic that we're going to be exploring for the next several sessions, John is recognized in Scripture as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And in 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7, toward the back of your book, we read these words. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, John not only writes about love, but he actually practices it in his day-to-day -day life. And as we look at this passage and the passages that we're going to take a look at in this particular session, it's important to recognize and understand that he starts off this, this, uh, this paragraph by saying, Beloved. It's a term of endearment to those who are believers. He's writing to him saying, hey, to, to those whom I love or those who are loved by God, beloved, let us love one another. And he talks about love and he's the apostle of love. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, this guy always wasn't that way. And what's fascinating is as we look around and we see people around us, we need to recognize and understand something that for the most part, the people that you see as far as those who have come into a relationship with God who they are today isn't who they used to be. When people look at me today, they would never even begin to imagine what I used to be like. And see, John is the same way. Because John, even though he's called the apostle of love, wasn't always that way in his life. In fact, when Jesus first met John and his brother James, he gave them the nicknames Sons of Thunder. These guys were, pardon the expression, it's a French expression, they were derriere kicking guys. See, some of you know French, I see. But they were, and that's, the, that's who they were. That was their nature. That was their temperament. That was their personality. That was everything about them. When Jesus met them, he said about those two brothers, man, they're sons of thunder right there. And see, they weren't always loving guys. And in fact, there was one time, on one occasion, where John asked God to send lightning from heaven to kill some people that were aggravating them. A whole city of people, not just one. I mean, some of us, we drive down a freeway and think, hey, this one, just this one car. You know, or maybe your boss or somebody you work with or some family member, just one, just poof, one time. 
But no, this is like, hey, a whole city, this whole city just aggravates me. Just Something happened to this guy. How do you go from that to be called the apostle of love? There was a transformation that took place in his life. God was doing a work in this guy's life that he took him from being a guy who wanted lightning to be called from heaven to kill everybody in the city to finally being called an apostle of love to whom the disciple that Jesus loved. It's interesting as we look at this, it becomes imperative that we understand what the Bible teaches about love because the English language creates much difficulty for us in this area due to the fact that we only have one word, love, to express what oftentimes is very differing ideas. You see, think about it. I love that outfit. How many times have you ever heard of it? Oh, I love your new hairdo. Oh, I love that new look. You know? Uh, I, I love double-doubles. Uh, you know, I love In-N-Out Burger. Now there's all these people like, I love Krispy Kreme. They're lining up for miles. I love Krispy Kreme. I got to get a Krispy Kreme. I don't know what's in those things. It's amazing to me, man, but there's like 400 people. It's like a show. When they opened the one in La Habra, you know, we had friends who used to live down south, and when we'd go there, they'd have, you have Krispy Kreme and sweet tea. That's what you have, Krispy Kreme and sweet tea, and then you didn't sleep for three days. But, uh, I mean, you had, a, you had a buzz going there, you know. And so when the Krispy Kreme came, it's like Linda's going, Krispy Kreme has arrived. And so we're dry. we drive to the harbor. We go up there at 6 o'clock at night on a Saturday night because I was doing a loving thing because I'm a loving guy. <laughs> so it's like going to a swing dance thing, you know what I mean, guys? Amen, brother? Hey, anybody get some mileage out of that, guys? No, not at all. And you see, you won't go next time. That's the way it works. But see, so we drive up there, and there's a line of people. I think I'm Disneyland. I'm just waiting for the parade to come by, you know? And they're lining up. There's like 300 people. They're lining up. And I'm going, what are we? Oh, we got to get in the back of the line. Man, you got to love donuts. Oh, I love these. People are walking out. Oh, I love these. I got to But they love donuts, you know? It's like, you know, and then on the same token, we say, but I love my wife. And I love my husband. I love my children. I love Fido. You know, I love Lassie, whatever, whatever you, you got there. You know, I love this, I love that, I love another thing. And you go, wow, you know, how in the world can a guy use the same word to express his love for his wife that he uses to express a love for sports or a hamburger? There's something wrong with the English language. And it's very confusing when you think about it. Now, what's wonderful is since the New Testament was written in Greek, the writers inspired by the Holy Spirit were given different words to use that were more precise as far as language was concerned to be able to identify what they were referring to when they were talking about love. And I like that because it's unfortunate that our English word just used love and oftentimes it contradicts itself. And so what I want to do is explain to you first off as we define or answer the question what is love to take a look at when we're reading through the Bible, particularly the New Testament, that there are different words that are referred to for this whole idea or concept of love. The first one has to do with family love. Family love. It's a, it's, it's a word that identifies loving family relationships. It's used for the love of parents uh, and their children, and their children or children for their parents. And it even goes as far as to even include family pets as part of that loving environment. It's a family love that is used. And the word is specifically identified as we go through the Bible. Unfortunately for us, in the English, it just says love. So we don't know what love is being referred to. The second word that's used is a word that most of us get hung up on. And in Greek, it's eros, which is what we get our word erotic from. And it has specifically to do with sexual love. And our culture is infatuated 
with the idea of sexual love, so all of a sudden it turns to that's what is being referred to. And it's not always the case. You know, we got these experts all over the place talking about, you know, sexual love and therapists and psychologists and uh, sexual therapists and all that goes along with the idea. And sometimes we don't know as much as we think we know. I love the story that I heard. Some of you may have heard about the little girl who was walking through the mall. She was a young gal, probably six, seven years old. And she was asking her mother, she said, you know, Mom, how old are you? And the mother says, um, you know what, honey, you know, women don't like to tell people how old they are. When you get older, you understand that. So she goes, oh, okay. And they're walking a little further. And she said, well, Mom, how, how much do you weigh? They're just leaving a store where she was trying on some clothes. I said, well, how much do you weigh? And she said, well, honey, you know, women don't really like to share how much they weigh with other people. Um, and you understand that when you get older. And so as they're walking a little further and they're talking a little more, she said, well, Mom, let me ask you something. Mommy, why, why did uh, you and Daddy get divorced? And she said, well, I really don't want to share that with you right now. It's still painful, and I don't really want to talk about it. But someday when you're ready, we'll discuss it. So the little girl goes to school, and then that following week, and she's talking to her friend about this conversation with her mom. And her friend says, well, you know what? What I have found that is if you're looking for information on any parent, any adult, that if you just go into, in, and get their driver's license, you can get any information that you want. You just read it like a report card. And so the little girl goes, oh, okay. And so the next day, she's there, and her mom's cooking dinner. She sneaks into the other room, goes through her mom's purse, and she's looking at it, and whoa, she walks in the kitchen and goes, Mom, I know exactly how old you are. You're 36. And her mom went, looked at her, like, surprised, and she said, Ann, I also know how much you weigh. You weigh 135 pounds. And her mom's like, well, well, well wow. And, she says, and, not, and not only that, but I also know why you and Daddy broke up. And she said, well, why, honey? She said, because you got an F in sex. <laughs> See, we, we think we know, but we just don't know. See, the whole idea of sexual love, or eros, where we get the, the, our English word, as I mentioned, erotic, has to do with physical love that's demonstrated one to another. And the interesting is, and another interesting fact is that this word doesn't appear anywhere in the New Testament. There is a subject that's found throughout the Bible, and specifically if you want to read about erotic or sexual love, just read Song of Solomon. It's a wonderful story of a relationship as it's meant and designed to be as far as God is concerned. But what's fascinating to me as we go through this and understand God's concept of love, Eros, or physical love, takes care of itself if everything else is in order. And we're going to see that as we go through this. Another Greek word that is used is philia, which has to do with philia, which has to do with friendship love. Great example in scripture is found in the relationship of King David with his friend Jonathan. It's a wonderful example of a friendship type of love. Uh, in fact, the Philadelphia, uh, this is an oxymoron, uh, having lived in Pennsylvania, but I'll share it with you anyway. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Um, by name. Um, and so when we look at that, there's that whole idea of family love, sexual love, friendship love, and then there is the highest form of love, which is what we're going to concentrate on in this particular series, and that's agape or spiritual love. Now when we find this word in the New Testament, it's used specifically for God's love towards man, for Christians, a Christian's love for another Christian, and God's love for his church. 
Those are the three ways that this word is used in the New Testament. And so as we focus on this particular aspect or type of love, kind of love, we're going to notice that we're not going to be talking about social love or sentimental love or, or sensual sexual love. We're going to be talking about spiritual love, specifically the love that God has for people. Because after all, when you get right down to it, we are celebrating God, God's love for this world. For God so loved this world that He sent His only begotten Son into this world so that whosoever would believe in Him they would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the message, the essence of what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. It's God's love towards man, and that's the love that he's demonstrating towards us, and we're going to look at that in great detail. So as we look at this, we're going to take a look at six facts concerning spiritual love from the passage that we just saw in uh, 1 John, and that'll be our focal point as we go through this. But I thought, you know what, wouldn't it be interesting, and it certainly would be a lot less confusing if we used the Greek language to explain our relationship with one another, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice for those who are dating, if you know you, you were dating somebody and somebody said to you, hey, you know what, um, I, I love you. Well, what kind of love are you talking about? Well, you know, if I was honest, you know, the guy, uh, I eros you. <laughs> Do you eros me back? You know, because, and, and, and you know, and she's thinking, well, he loves me, but he's thinking, hey, I just want this. Or somebody's thinking, man, I, I love you. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know what? I, I, I love you as a friend. See, you know, I feel uh, you. But that sounds a lot too close like the last one, so we probably wouldn't do that. But it's, I, you know, I want you to be my friend. We see that, you know, people that date, oh, I, don't, I don't love you any more than just, I just love you as a friend. Which is always the kiss of death if you're pursuing a relationship that you want to go further than that. You know, that's the, that's the tagline that, you know what, it's time to move on to something else. No, I love you as a friend. So it would be interesting to be able to use that. So as we look at this, we're looking at six facts concerning spiritual love. And uh, number one, if you've got your Bibles, again, look at 1 John chapter 4 if you're still there, great. Look at what it says in verse 7. Beloved, let us, and here's what we'll do, let us agape you. You know, let us agape one another. For agape love is from God. And everyone who agapes is born of God and knows God. The one who does not agape does not know God, for God is love. And what's interesting about that is, is that God is love. It doesn't mean that love is God, but it means that God is love. And the fact that two people say, I love you, doesn't necessarily mean that their love is a holy, agape-type love. It's been said that, that love does not define God, but God defines love. And I believe that is true. See, love does not define who God is, but God defines what love is. See, God is love. He is also holy. So His holiness is expressed in His love. So when God expresses His love for us, He also expresses His holiness as well. All that God does is expressed because of who He is. Even His judgments and His me are measured out in mercy and love. In the book of Lamentations, we're told that God's mercies are new every morning. And His loving kindness is demonstrated to us every day. 
that God, because of who he is, expresses that in the things that he does. Is that not true? Who we are is expressed in what we do. We saw that as we were going throughout the study in the book of James. See, faith without works is dead. Why? Because we can say we have faith, but it's not demonstrated in how we live. It doesn't matter what we say because we express who we are. As we go through difficult times in life and trials and different circumstances and we're squeezed by the pressures of life, we learn that whatever is on the inside is what's going to be squeezed and, 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 uh, and it's going to be exemplified by what comes out. Just like when we squeeze an orange, out comes orange juice. You squeeze a lemon, out comes lemonade or lemon juice, I'm sorry. If you squeeze grape, uh, grapefruit, grape juice comes out. If you squeeze a Christian, then what is inside a believer will come out at that time and it better be reflective of what God says is true of the Christian life. And so when we look at this, we begin to realize that, you know what, whatever comes out of us is an expression of who we are. Well, see, God is holy, and God is love, and everything that comes out of him is an expression of who he is. And so as we look at that, we need to understand that much of what is called love in our culture today bears no resemblance and no relationship to the holy, spiritual, agape love of God. In fact, our world tries to dignify immorality and sin by attaching and applying the word love as if it's going to cover all human behavior because we love each other. That's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. And so as we look at this, we're going to go through and understand that what God has to say is this. There are six facts concerning spiritual love. The first one is very simple. Spiritual love is distributed by God. Agape, spiritual love, comes from God. We cannot get that type of love from any other source. It's supernatural. It's spiritual in origin. It comes from God. God is love, and God gives this love to those of us who want to be loved by God. See, God is the inventor. God is the creator. God is the manufacturer. God is the distributor of spiritual love. You can't go to any other source. For those of us who are in business, we realize there are times in our life where there is only one source we can go to for a product. You've got a, a company who manufactures a product, and they distribute that product, and you've got to go through them to get it. You know what? There's no place else to go. I mean, when we sell, for example, carrier air conditioning equipment, Carrier is the manufacturer. They may even be the distributor. And if we want to buy that product, we can't go to, you know, over here to someone else and say, we'd like to buy this particular product. They'll say, no, we can't deliver that to you. You have to go to them to get it. See, unfortunately, we get confused in our world today and think that we can find agape spiritual love from another source. You can't get it from anywhere but from God because God is the creator, the inventor, the manufacturer, and the distributor all in one. He is the only place that we can go to find spiritual agape love. There's no one else to turn to and there's no place else to go. Now the question for you is, if I've got to go to God to get this kind of love, then how do I get it? And John answers that in that passage in 1 John chapter 4. Look what he says. Beloved, let us agape one another or love one another, for agape love is from God. He's the distributor of it. And everyone who loves is what? Born of God and knows God. The Bible says the only way you and I can ever have access to spiritual love, this highest form of love that's known to man, God's love, the only way we can ever have access to it, 
is that we must be what? Born again. You got to be born again. There's no other way to get it. You can't manufacture it on your own. You can't come up with it on your own. You can't love at the highest level that's possible for human beings to love without going to God. And the Bible says you got to be born again. And it's John's writings, if you go back to his gospel, that makes that very clear to us what it means to be born again. And there's a lot of question marks in our culture today about what that term is, born again. And I think some clarity is in order at this point. Because when you look at that, you hear people go, oh, you are, and it used to be a lot more prevalent than it is now. People go, uh, you, want, you, want to, you must be one of those born-agains. What? Must be a born-again? I mean, you must be born again? Well, there's only one way that you can be a Christian. You have to be born again. That's what the Bible teaches. And in the first letter, I mean, the, the Gospel of John, John says this. But Jesus came into this world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The birth of Jesus Christ. He appeared. He came into this world. He came into this world, and the world was made through him. He's the creator of the universe. He's God, creator, and the world didn't even know him. It says, and he came to his own, speaking of the Jews, and those who were his own didn't receive him. It says, but the contrast is, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born again, or born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's all of God. Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, came to Jesus in John chapter 3, a very important passage on this subject, and he came to him and said, Lord, you know, teacher, rabbi, what does somebody have to do to get right with God and to get into heaven when they die? Jesus' answer to him was very simple. He says in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot get into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was confused. He said, well, what do you mean born again? I'm an old man. I can't climb back in my mother's womb. What are you talking about? He says, you've got to be born of the water and spirit. It has to, you have to be born of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We'll just do a quick little brief overview of what this whole idea of, of being born again is because you can't have access to spiritual love unless you are born again. That's what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. We read that, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It says, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says this, whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, a, a passage that was mentioned uh, in, in the worship time in the music this morning. Ephesians 2 gives us another idea of what it means to be born again. It says in Ephesians 2, 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked. That's how you lived your life. <coughs> According to the course of this world. According to the prince power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift from God lest any of us should ever boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice that he says that we were dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses, that we're born with this sin condition, that even though we're alive physically, we're dead spiritually. And he says, whosoever will call upon him, speaking of Jesus, that whosoever will believe in him, speaking of Jesus, that whosoever will receive him, speaking of Jesus, that he gives us right and privilege to be children of God, that we would not perish, that we would become children of God to those who believe in his names, for it's by God's grace and his grace alone that we are born again to those who simply ask and cry out to God, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner based on what you say, and I need forgiveness, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And the world goes, that's too simple and too easy. And you know why? Because we are not used to seeing that type of love demonstrated in our culture. See, think about it. Love is a valid test of whether you and I have really become children of God. That highest form of love is really a valid test to see if you and I have really been truly born again. That we've been given spiritual life by God and His grace and His mercy. See, as we look at the life of John, for example, how can a guy go from a butt-kicking guy who can't stand people and wants fire to come from heaven to a guy who God says is now the apostle of love? I'll tell you how. He was born again. He was transformed. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. You're not the way you used to be. You're the way God's going to make you to become. You're not the same anymore. And the whole idea of love is such a flimsy, cheap thing in our culture that we don't really recognize and understand the love at the highest form of love that's available. The only way we can do that is we've got to tap into God who is the only resource for that type of love and then He will love through us to other people and that's really the test of whether we're believers or not. See, as we look at this, it's amazing to me how many of us are trying to substitute this kind of love. Can a non-believer love their family? Yes, to the best ability that they can. Can they sacrifice for their family? Absolutely, I've seen it in my life and so have you. But can they love others as God intends them to be loved, as God loves them? No. They don't have the capacity, they don't have the capability, and they don't have the love of God residing within them to love them as an agape type of love. See, we need to look at that and recognize the paraphrase of this uh, 1 John passage in, in verse 8 is this. The person who does not have this divine kind of love has never entered into a personal experiential knowledge of God. What he knows is in his head, but it's not in his heart. Notice what it says in verse 7. Let us agape one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is what? Born of God and knows God. When you see the term <clears throat> knows in the Bible, it is referring to a deep experiential relationship. <clears throat> As a husband loves his wife, or a wife loves her husband, there's a deep experience there. I know my wife. She knows me. And we know each other better than any of you will ever know us. And in a lot of ways, thank God, praise God for that, for all of us, right? that we don't know you like you know each other. But you think about it. 
there is nothing hidden in a deep relationship with one another. All the flaws are there. All the, the benefits are there. All the blessings are there. The assets are there. The liabilities are there. Whatever it is, it's all there. And seeing a relationship with God, he's saying that you have to know God. That you experience his love. That you know him intimately. That he knows you intimately. And you know what's going on in each other's lives. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we look at this, this love is distributed by God. There's no place else to get it. Number two, it's delivered unconditionally. It's delivered unconditionally. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read this. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You notice that? Not that we love God, <clears throat> because we couldn't love God. Think about it. God loved us even when we could care less about Him. God loves us unconditionally. With God's love, there are no strings attached. With God's love, you know, there are no, okay, what's the catch? What, what are you in this for? What, what's in this for you? Why are you doing this? Okay, what are you up to? See, with God's love, unconditional love, agape love, is that you go to a swing dance with your wife, and not expect you to get something in return for it at some other later date. All right, I'll do this for you, but then you're going to owe me one. See, that's not unconditional love. That's not agape love. You do it because that is what the other person needs, and you just do it unconditionally. See, we're not used to that. We think, everybody thinks God's up to something. What's the catch? All right, God, I mean, what's the catch here? Seriously, okay, like, okay, if I'm born again, then what? I got to do what? Kind of, I, I owe you now. Okay, you did this for me. Now I owe you. The when this is the big, this is how the relationship works, and it's not. See, God demonstrated His love for us even yet while we were sinners. Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I, I have a hard time fathoming that. I mean, think about that. When I look back on my life and I look back on the days that you know what I could have cared less about God. I didn't care what He thought. Didn't care whether He existed. Didn't care anything about it. I lived to please myself. I did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it and did whatever I could and if I got away with it, great. And if I didn't, that didn't necessarily stop me the next time. It just depended on what the consequences were. And you know, even when I was doing that, that God was seeking me out. See, the Bible says that Jesus was sent to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God seeks us out that God brought Linda and I and our daughter at that time from Pennsylvania to California and he brought people into our life that explained us how much God loved us even though we were the way we were and all the people that he brought into our life and all the circumstances and all the events that took place to get our attention to seek us out continually seeking us out continually loving us as a person who was jilted by, by a high school sweetheart and for years, I, and I think about my brother-in-laws like that. For my, he loved my sister since the time they were in high school. And he ended up going to the Naval Academy, he ended up graduating, and he kept loving her and seeking her out and seeking her out. And after 10 years and all the different relationships she had and everything that she went for, through, it was finally that love drew her to him. And I'm sure sometimes he wonders whether it was worth it, but... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> wow, you know, it's a guy thing, you know. It's that process. But but and and you know, and, and you know, and, and she married him. And it was like, wow. 
And I think, you know what, that pales in comparison to how God loves people. He just seeks us out. Seek and to save that which was lost. I hear people all the time tell me, you know what, well, when I clean up my act, then, you know, then I'll come to church. <laughs> you don't get it. See, that's like saying, you know what, well, when I'm feeling better, then I'll go see a doctor. When the wound heals, then I'll go to the hospital for stitches. What? People say it all the time, though. You've heard people say, no, you know, hey, if I ever come to church, better stand back because the ceiling's going to cave in. I said, you don't understand. I've already been there. I beat you to it. It didn't fall in. If it didn't fall in when I walked in there, you're, you're safe. What do you think? God's setting you up. He's trying to get you to church. They can drop a church roof on you. He can take you out where you are. But he loves you. And he's seeking you out. He's came, he sent Jesus to die for you, to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, it's amazing to me. We get so confused. God demonstrated his love for us, and yet while we were sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Sometime when you have a chance this week, read Romans chapter 5. What a wonderful passage on the reality of what is ours for those who are born again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The angel came at Christmas and said, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men whom God loves. God loves people. And he demonstrates that love and that he delivers his love unconditionally. We need to recognize and understand something. There is nothing that you and I could ever do that would be worthy or deserving or earning of God's love. Nothing. It's by God's grace and His mercy alone. And He demonstrates that He is faithful. He demonstrates that He is loving every day. And some of us don't see it. Each day that you have is another day is a gift from God. You want to be humble sometimes? Every day I read the obituary section. And it's not because i got a morbid fascination. I read it as a specific reminder that that day is another gift from God. And when you scan and you see all the different ages and you see all the different situations, you see different ways that people die, you begin to realize, you know what? Every day I have is a gift from God. And I don't ever want to take that for granted. And I never want to forget that because that's God's love. Every morning that you get up and you have air to breathe, that air is a gift from God. Think about it. Every day that you eat, the food that we have is a gift from God. And look at the universe. I mean, think about the universe for a second. Today, just look around, and every time you hear on the news about, hey, I think there's three more planets somewhere out there. Great. And we've got millions and millions of dollars tied up in a Mars lunar rover lander thing, and all these people are sitting around going, it hasn't talked to us yet. But God is shouting to you in his creation He's shouting to you. Everything that he's made is, is, is a work of his handiwork. The heavens and earth declare, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And we're waiting for a robot to talk to us while God's shouting to us. Think about it. Yeah, look at all those stars. Look at all those planets. Look at everything else. But you know what? None of them are prepared like this planet is for us. And that's a coincidence brought about by a bunch of cosmic dust that blew up and here we all are. And they think that that's stupid to believe in God, a creator who is organized, who is a creator of the universe, who has a purpose and a plan for everybody. And scientists try to tell you you're stupid for believing in God when that's how they believe the universe came into existence. Give me a break. 
Who's stupid? Attach all the degrees you want to the end of the name, but you know what? The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And God says, come to me as a simple child with childlike faith. Not that we can't reason about what God has done because the evidence is shouting all around us. But he says, come to me with childlike faith. And you know what? And cry out for forgiveness. And whosoever calls upon the Lord will what? Will never be disappointed. And you will be born again. Don't let your arrogance and your pride hold you back in humility and brokenness to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. That arrogance is what keeps people from eternal life. See, it's delivered unconditionally. And it's demonstrated by its actions, by what it does. See, agape love is demonstrated by actions. Notice, by this the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Notice that God's love was manifested in us. In who? In God's children. In those who are born again. In believers. God's love can be seen to others, how? Through us. Do you follow that? Isn't that wonderful? That God's love can be seen by people around you through us and how we respond to them. It's demonstrated by our actions. God did it first. He demonstrated his love for us, and yet while we're sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. It says, and this is love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. So what? So that we might live, have spiritual life, eternal life, through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God. We didn't do anything. He did it all. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, big word meaning basically this, that God is completely satisfied with what Jesus did for us on the cross. And there's nothing you and I need to add to it. He appeared. He appeared. Christmas. He appeared for the purpose of going to the cross and dying for our sins. That was his mission statement. He appeared so that he could go to the cross, die for our sins, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was his purpose in coming. That's the purpose of Christmas. It's exciting that Christmas comes so we can celebrate his birth, but never misunderstand that that isn't the end of the story. He came for a purpose. He appeared for a purpose in the form of a human being so they could go to the cross, die for our sins, then raise again three days later from the dead so that he could demonstrate and prove that he is who he claims to be, and that is God who can offer us eternal life and forgiveness. See, that's why he came. And God demonstrates that type of love with action. For you and I to say, I love you to somebody, and not demonstrate it with actions, is just a cheap term that we use in our culture. It's not God's love. Because one, one picture is worth a thousand words. You know what? Actions still speak uh, louder than words. That's what the whole book of James is about. Make your faith a living, dynamic faith that other people can see around you. Stop just giving people lip service about, oh yeah, I love you, I love you. I love you, man! Yeah, whatever. Just do something. My wife taught me that a long time ago. Words are cheap. I mean, anybody can say it. Oh, I love you. You know what? Hey, just do something. And then I'll know you love me. Should we say it? Absolutely. But you know what? I'm convinced of this. That you can say it all you want, but if you're not demonstrating it, what you're saying doesn't mean a thing. Do something about it. 
do something. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, Behold, how can the love of God dwell in you that when God brings about needs in front of you, you say, hey, be warm, be fed. Hey, go on your way. God bless you. I love you, man. And you don't do anything about it? What are you, kidding? How can the love of God, the love of God that's compelled to action really indwell you? Because you don't have a choice. When you see somebody in need, you've got to act. Why? Because when God sees people, think of Jesus. Every person that he saw that had a need, you know what? He was compelled to act. He was moved, the Bible says, with compassion for people. And he was compelled to do something. <clears throat> we need to see more in front of us. We isolate ourselves from people that that need would be so evident that we wouldn't have a choice but to do something. So we get people that we don't want to have to do anything with and we isolate ourselves from them so we don't have to see what the need is. It's easy just to say, pick up an ornament bulb on a tree and bring a gift back. Go there and see how people live. And you'll be compelled to act if you're born again. Go to Chad and sit in the desert. Or take seven days to get to somebody and see the need that they have for the love of Jesus Christ. And you say you won't do anything about it. You're compelled to act at that point. Some of us don't demonstrate the love of God towards others because we isolate ourselves from those who we need to be in contact with so that God can use what we see to compel us into action. I'm going to challenge all of us to get more involved in the lives of people around us, to get to know them, to get to know what's going on in their life, to get to find out what their needs are, because when that need is recognized, if you're born again, then you're going to be compelled to do something about it. See, that's what the Bible says is agape love. Demonstrate by its actions. It's defined by its ability to give. You know, to give to others. The only way you and I can give like God gives is if we've got God indwelling us and He can love through us. 1 Corinthians 13 will be a great passage that we're going to focus most of our time on throughout this series as far as how we can show that the love of God really indwells us. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said this. He goes, you know, here's how the world that we live in will know that you're really a believer. You know how the world that we live in will know that you and I really love and follow and believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus said this. The world will know that you love me when you love other believers. Isn't that interesting? Think about it. I'll guarantee you this. The only way some of you can love me is because the Spirit of God dwells in you and God's loving me through you, through Him. And the only way I can love some of you <clears throat> is by the same token. See, isn't that true? Think about this. Think about what we learned in the book of James. That, you know what, when God's love indwells us, that we will love people that before we couldn't stand to be around. We'll love people of color when we used to be racist. We'll love people who have money, or we'll love people who have no money, just because they're brothers or sisters in Christ. We'll love people who are of a different gender and a different age, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We will love each other and be more, we will be drawn more together. You know, I've got, we've got Christian friends who are closer to us than blood relatives. And they have been for years. There's an attraction there that all comes to the fact that we are drawn together because of our mutual love for Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus said, when you demonstrate your love for other believers, the world's going to stand back and go, how can you love this person? Hey, yeah, you know, from all outward appearances, a person's really obnoxious, kind of a geek and all that kind of stuff, but you know what? I love that person because I know that Jesus Christ died for him just like he died for me. 
and we both believe in Jesus Christ, and we both love the Lord. And because of that, I love that person. And I don't say that flippantly, I don't say it socially, I don't say it sentimentally, and I don't say it sensually, I say it spiritually, I love that person in Christ. Because God is loving through me. And that's what it says, how the world will see that we love one another. Think about it. Are there racial or economic or gender differences that hold you back from loving other believers? If there are, I'm going to challenge you. You need to confess your sin before God. And you need to ask Him to help you love that person just as He loves that person. And you know what? And if you're born of God then you won't have a problem doing it because the Spirit of God lives in you and you're the one that's holding them back from doing what He wants to do. It's displayed by obedience to God. Obedience to God. How do we display that type of love? It's obedience to God. I'm going to just get a little blunt here for a second because we're almost done. <clears throat> I don't do this very often, so this is something different. You know, I often hear people in conversation tell me how much they love God. Oh, I love God. And then they go about their life living it as if they don't know what love's all about. They do what they want, when they want. And yet they say out of the other side of their mouth, but I love God. I'm just going to tell you that you don't understand love. Because Jesus said this, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. In verse 21, he goes on to say, Whosoever has my commands and obey them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is the love of God. This is a love for God to obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome to his people. Do you love God? Then you'll obey his commandments. And we're going to look more at that in a future session. But in this brief passage, I'll test you and I'll challenge you, challenge myself. If I love God, then I will love those around me unconditionally. Because that's what he commands. Beloved, let us agape one another. Let us love one another unconditionally, no strings attached. I love you because that's what I'm supposed to do and that's what God wants me to do. I will obey his commandments because I love him. I'm going to love you whether you ever respond in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't matter because it's the right thing to do. Let me give you something that, that also is kind of bugging me. A couple weeks ago, there was an announcement about uh, showing your appreciation to me. I, I appreciate the appreciation that you've shown, the cards, some phone calls, things like that. Thank you very much, and, and, I, and, you know, and I'm, I'm very honored and, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I got a problem with it. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't think that's biblical to tell people to appreciate other people for what they're doing. And the reason I say that is this. I will love you because God commands me to love you. I will love God and obey Him because I love Him and I will obey His commandments. And if God calls you to do something, you do it because you love God and you're compelled to do it because it's obedience. Whether anybody ever recognizes it or not doesn't make any difference. Whether anybody ever says thank you or sends a card isn't why I do what I do. Because my accountability is to God. And also, my love for you is just an expression of His love through me to you. 
so don't, you know, don't feel bad now that you sent a card. Now, most of you are going, good, I'm glad I didn't send a card. <laughs> so, yeah, see, I had a problem. I was going to send you a card, but hey, I just don't think that was biblical, so I didn't send you one. So, you know, but, but, but understand what I'm saying. Listen very carefully. It's like, you know what it's like? You ever see athletes now? It's like, it drives me crazy because I work in athletics a lot. But it's like, you ever see a football game? What's a football game today? A guy makes a tackle. What's he do? Jumps up, yells, hi, mom, wants to take his helmet off, but they finally outlawed that, so that's a 15-yard penalty excessive celebration. So they don't do that anymore, but they run to the nearest camera they can have, they point to their chest, they go, Ugh, and it's like, what did you just do? You made a tackle. What are you paid to do? Make tackles. So why should, why should you want more recognition for what you're supposed to be doing? Now, I can see if you save the game, it's one play out of the whole game, and that's the game-saving play, you might get a little more excited. But you know what? Just do your job. It's like you make a tackle, and everybody gets excited. It's like you made one tackle. Now, let's see if we, we spread it out over how much you're getting paid. That was a very expensive tackle. <laughs> I'm thinking they want you to make more than one tackle for the amount of money you're making, right? It's like but we get all excited. And see, let, let me help you understand something. We live in a culture where people want to be applauded for doing what they're supposed to do. It's like how many of you have children when they do the right thing, they go, hey, you know, shouldn't we get something for this? What? But we're doing the right thing. You're supposed to. And I hear guys all the time, man, you know what? Hey, look at all, I'm taking care of my family. Good. What do you want? A medal? That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Look, I did this for my wife. Big stinking deal. That's what you're supposed to do. Hey, I fed my kids this week. Hey. What do you want? So you, great. Glad to hear it. They're probably glad. But we all want to be, you know, we all want to be rewarded for just doing what we're supposed to do. Hey, I did my homework. Good. Don't I get a car? <laughs> no. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you crazy? Think about it. Now, now, we laugh at that, right? But why is it then, when we do what God wants us to do, hey, isn't anybody going to say anything? Anybody recognize it? Anybody going to get a cards? How about a gift? Cash is good. That's like... Why? Because you're doing what God wants you to do. The works that were prepared beforehand for you to do. Just being obedient, right? You know what's exciting, though? Is that whether anybody here on earth ever recognizes what each of us do for one another, God sees it all. See, he's the one that's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's the one that's going to reward us for being obedient to him. So never, never be motivated by other people because you'll quit quick if that's your motivation. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord and you stay focused on Him, then I guarantee you that He sees all and He is not unjust to reward those who do what they are called to do. And He has prepared ahead of time for us to do anyway so it all goes back to Him. Praise God. Last thing is this. See, oftentimes our love, this, this high form of love, isn't seen by others because it's defeated by sin. Think about our study in the book of James. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not your, just your own selfish ambition? See, we stifle God's love 
If you're truly born again, God wants to love other people through you. And the only thing that can stop him from doing that is you and me in sin. That's why you've got to pray, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, if there's anything unclean in my life, if there's anything holding you, me back, holding you back from loving through me, then expose that to me so that I can confess it and I can ask for forgiveness. And I know you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all of that. And I want to be used by you to love other people as you have designed that to take place. You see, spiritual love is distributed by God. There's no place else to get it. It's supernatural. You've got to be born again. And when you're born again, then the Spirit of God indwells you, Romans 5.5. 5. Romans 5 tells us that the Spirit of God basically just washes through us God's love. It's delivered unconditionally. No strings attached. We love because He first loved us. We give because He gives. We, we do what we do because it's best for the person who receives it. It has nothing to do with us. It's demonstrated by actions. We need to be understanding that, you know what? There is no better time of year for others to see the love of Christ than at Christmas. If we will be obedient and we will reach out to others for no other reason that they will see that we are different than the rest of the world. That they will see that there must be something different about you because you are the most selfish person on the face of the earth and now look how you're giving and loving and generous toward people. And you know what? That's all God's doing. It has nothing to do with me because I still fight Him every day. But I want to become more obedient. It's defined by its ability to give. Simple. Grab a bulb. Start there. Start somewhere. But start giving to people. So they can see that, you know what, God's love, what you're saying about Jesus Christ is true. God's love gives unconditionally. He doesn't expect anything from you. All that he wants is you to believe in him, to trust in him, to turn to him, and he'll take care of all the rest. It's all about him and not about you. It's displayed by obedience to God. God wants us to give and to love as he loves. And it's defeated by sin. God says, hey, you know what, if you're not loving the way you're supposed to be loving, then you know what, it's time to confess your sin and repent and to turn from it. One of the most maybe poignant stories that I've ever heard was told of a soldier in World War II who was in London, and it was right after the, the Blitzkrieg, and, the, and it was the end of the war, and there were orphans that were running around all over the place, as you can imagine, in a war-torn city like that. And the soldier went into a donut shop to buy some donuts, and they weren't Krispy Kreme. He bought some donuts and got some coffee, and as he was inside there, he saw this little boy sticking his face against the window. And the little boy was just watching everything that was going on. And the soldier can tell that the little boy was homeless. He probably hadn't eaten for a while. And so as he's in there, he bought himself some donuts and he sat down. And as he was watching this little boy's face, as he was leaving, he went up to pay and he bought some more donuts. And he was walking out the door and the little boy was kind of just standing there. And he didn't bother the soldier, didn't come up to him or anything. He was still looking at the window. The soldier went over and tapped him on the shoulder and said, son, would you like these? And he opened the bag. And uh, the little boy went to reach into the bag, and he said, no, no, you can have the whole bag. And he gave him the bag of donuts, and the soldier started to walk away, and the little boy came running down the street after donning him what happened, and he grabbed the guy by the leg, and he shook his leg, and he looked up at him, and he said, mister, are you God? Are you God? See, don't ever misunderstand. None of us can ever be God, but I'll guarantee you this, that if we allow God to love people through us, then they'll see God for who He really is. When people see the way you live and the way I live, my question for you is this. 
What do they see? And who do they see? See, because the Bible says that they should see Jesus through us. Don't ever forget that. That's what we're celebrating this month. The people see Jesus when they see you. A God who loved them so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world that whosoever would just believe in him would have everlasting life and would not perish. Wow, that's good stuff. Father, we just thank you for your word. Just thank you for the truth of it. We just thank you that we can understand by your word and by your spirit what true love, agape, spiritual love really is. God, we live in a world of cheap substitution and there's nothing comes close to what you have to offer. And I just pray for those who are here that don't understand unconditional love because they've never seen it in their own life. <clears throat> that they'll just trust you and turn to you and believe what you have to say, that your word is truth. That they'll trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, acknowledging their own sin in their life. And that they'll just simply reach out. It says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed in the quietness of their own heart and their own life. If they've never been born again, God, you know that and they know that. That they would just cry out to you to trust in you, to trust in Jesus as their Savior. For those of us who have come to know him at one point or another, to know him intimately, experientially, not just in our head but in our heart. I just pray that we will be more open and receptive to being used by you to love others as you intended us to love them with agape, spiritual, the highest form of love known to man. That we will be re reflective of your love for them. That as they see us and our generosity, that they'll see the love of God in our life. And they'll be drawn to you. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.